Good morning. Our congregation is really glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's sermon. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor at Moore Memorial United Methodist Church, located in the heart of downtown Winona. We're really excited that this week we've gotten to join back up in our sanctuary for worship again. We've been worshiping in our gym and the Family Life Center, but we're excited for this small step towards normalcy in the midst of all of the madness that we've been experiencing since March. We're continuing to keep our distance and wear masks. We're still not able to sing as a congregation, but we are able to gather to worship the Lord in our historic sanctuary, and what a blessing that is. If you'd like to join us, we'll be gathering at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We're sanitizing in between, and we would love to have you worship with us. We know that God is up to exciting things right now. And if God is up to something with you, if you're interested in talking about following Jesus, whether you've been walking with him for a long time and have specific questions, or if you have general questions about what it might look like to follow Jesus for the first time, I'd be thrilled to talk to you further. If you'd like to just show up, I'll be on the porch of our fellowship house, which is on Magnolia Street between Sterling and Quitman on Monday and Thursday mornings from 10 to 11.30, visiting with whoever stops by. Or if you'd rather make an appointment or just talk on the phone, you can always call the church office. You can reach us at 662-283-3804. If you'd like to give to support our ministries, you can do that at our website, morememorialumc.com. You can mail a a check to the church at P.O. Box 467 in Winona. We hope that you're continuing to take precautions to stay safe from this virus and that you'll let us know if we can support you or be praying for you. And we ask that you pray for us too, that we can live into our mission to share the love of Christ through study, worship, and service as we abide as God's children. May you know the manifold blessings and the presence of God for you today. Amen. Let's pray. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the blessing that it is to us to be able to hear it together as your people. We pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us through your word, that it would give us a hunger for you and the ways that we can access you through the gift of scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would bless its reading and its hearing today. As we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who is the word made flesh, by whom the worlds were created, and through whom we are saved. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 29. Hear this word. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. And found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown things that you have heard you did, that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read verses 18 through 31. Hear this word. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made, the, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and Greeks, I mean a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we move through this series on worship, it has come time for us to talk about the sermon. Ah, what's worse than preaching about preaching? As we look at what, we, what happens 
when the Word of God is proclaimed to the people of God, there are two questions I want to try to answer today. What makes a good sermon? And what is the congregation's role in the sermon? So first, what makes a good sermon? Maybe to answer that question, we have to ask a more basic question. What is a sermon? A sermon is the proclamation publicly of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is central to the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. Jesus himself sits at the center of that. Jesus as a person can't be separated from his teaching, from his miracles, from his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. Who Jesus was as the word of God made flesh that has come to dwell in the midst of the people of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the God, King, prophet, and priest in the flesh, fully God and fully human, is at the center of the gospel. Jesus' identity is at the center of all of it. But it's not just who Jesus is, it's also what he has done. Jesus' words and activity show us his character. And what is his character but the very character of God? So we can't boil Jesus down to his teachings as if he's some kind of wise sage. We can't boil him down to his actions as if he's just an exceptionally good man that we should model our lives after or some kind of miracle worker that we should marvel at. And we can't treat him just like he died to give us our ticket to heaven. None of those things individually capture the gospel. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh who has come to live in our midst and to deliver us from the power of sin and death and to establish his reign throughout the world that will exist for eternity without end. God has come to dwell with his people and show his character to us. But the gospel of Jesus is not limited in time to just the scope of Jesus' life. It doesn't start with Mary's uh, learning that she is going to bear a child and end with his resurrection or with his ascension. The gospel is not bound just to Jesus' earthly lifetime. The gospel looks back through the stories of God's efforts to redeem his people Israel and the patriarchs all the way to creation where the simple word of God became the source of all of the reality that we know. It looks back all the way to creation where the speech of God's mouth made the world and everything in it. The same word that was made flesh for us. And it looks forward It looks forward to the inauguration of the fullness of the kingdom of God made present to the world in a way that every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the gospel is aware of the ongoing activity of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in his church, which is his body. This is the gospel centered on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. 
and looking at the rest of the world through the reality of who God has revealed to us in the person of Jesus and in the ongoing work of God in the church and the previous work of God among the people of Israel and the patriarchs all the way back to creation. So how do we know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Through the gift of Scripture, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, read in the context of the church. It means that the gospel is not only the four books of Scripture that we call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament bound together communicates to us the truth of the gospel. The gospel is contained in the whole witness of Scripture. So, what is a good sermon? A good sermon looks like the sermon that Jesus preached in Nazareth. There are other examples of preaching in Scripture that we could look at as well. Matthew gives us the story of the Sermon on the Mount, which is often called the greatest sermon ever preached. Luke gives us the story of the Sermon on the Plain. Acts is full of preaching. If you want to learn about what, pre- what Christian preaching looks like, you should read the book of Acts and Peter and Paul's sermons there. But today I want us to look at the first sermon of Jesus's that's recorded for us. He's just come from the wilderness, 40 days of fasting and temptation from Satan himself. And the first thing that is record- he's recorded doing is going to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. And we already know from Luke's gospel that Jesus is a fantastic student of Scripture and even a teacher. When his parents left after, after going um, to Jerusalem and, uh, and they, they lost him, where was he? He was in the temple teaching and astounding the teachers of the law, of his knowledge of the law. So it's not surprising that his local synagogue in Nazareth was eager for the hometown boy, the greatest student of the law that they had seen, to come and to give them a word on a Sabbath day. At a Saturday public worship service, they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads it. And then he sits down and begins to expound upon it. He sat down to preach, not stood up, but other than that, it seems like a pretty familiar rhythm. The scripture is read, and then it is explained. Particularly what Jesus does is illuminates how this passage from Isaiah is fulfilled in Jesus. He reads the text as if it is about him. Today, this text has been fulfilled in your hearing. So a good sermon first and foremost, is true. It's true because it's rooted in the truth of Scripture. There's lots of other beautiful literature out there. There are fantastic, profound poems. There is beautiful fiction. There are great devotional books that teach us about the testimony of God's people and how God has worked in their life and the insights that they have about the character of God. They can be great raw material for good lessons, but they can't be the primary focus of a sermon. Those things, as good and as beautiful as they are, are not worthy of preaching. But Scripture, as we talked about last week, is sweeter than honey in our mouth. 
It's something for us to delight upon and meditate on, and we should do that together. Good sermons are true because they are rooted in the very truth of Scripture and in the power of the Word of God. Good sermons are theological. That is, they are primarily about God. They're not about the preacher. They're not about the congregation. A good sermon is focused on the power of God to save and the character of God and his love towards God's people. A good sermon is theological. A good sermon is true because it's rooted in the truth of Scripture. And finally, good sermons are edifying to the people of God. That is, they build us up spiritually to abide in God's kingdom, to abide as followers of Jesus, to live as those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can do that in a few different ways. They can invite us and exhort us to grow in the knowledge and the love of God, to marvel at God's majesty, to stand in wonder at God's character or his love or his grace or his power. But they can invite us to know that God's grace is available to us, regardless of what we have done or how we have distanced ourselves from God or how we have harmed others. God's grace is sufficient for us, and God is open to us if we will but receive his grace. And finally, because of God's rich love for us, sometimes sermons ought to invite us into that kind of sacrificial love for our neighbors and for our enemies, that the love of God should penetrate our hearts in such a way that we begin to love like Jesus does. You might be asking, Brother Chad, don't, don't you think we know what a good sermon is when we hear it? Maybe. But there's a lot of things I didn't say that I would bet a lot of you value in preaching. As I talked about a good sermon, I didn't tell you anything about cute stories. I didn't say anything about being entertaining or having a big personality. I didn't say anything about having three points that all start with the same letter. I didn't say anything about making you feel nice so that you can have a bright and happy week. Good sermons are rooted in Scripture. Good sermons are primarily about God. And good sermons invite God's people to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the baseline for a good sermon. And great sermons will do all of that and might find innovative ways to engage your heart and your mind. They might be preached with power and enthusiasm and charisma that captures your attention and won't let you be distracted. They might make you laugh and cry all at once so that your emotions move with the words of the preacher. Great sermons might take good sermons to the next level so that what's good about them their attention to Scripture, their edifying nature to the church, their attentiveness towards God is magnified and easier to comprehend and ever more clear. But they can't be great sermons unless they're first good sermons. So I wonder if you know what good preaching is, because sometimes we're inclined to be fooled by the things that are extra uh, that help us pay attention in an extra way. And those extra things become the thing that we're most focused on, and we lose sight of the baseline that we need out of good preaching. 
Today's sermon, it's a fine sermon, hopefully a good sermon. Probably not a great sermon, which in some ways is kind of the point. It's not about making sure that you leave thinking about what a great job I have done. It's about you leaving thinking about Jesus. And for me to do that well, you might actually have to think that I'm a fool. That's what the world thinks about good preaching, Paul says. The world thinks that good preaching is foolish. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some folks want signs and miracles, Paul says. Other folks want compelling arguments and rich wisdom, sage people offering them sage advice so that they can be sage people too. But what we have to offer them is Jesus, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Apart from God, Paul says, the church at Corinth wasn't really anything special. They were not well-born. They weren't super smart. They weren't powerful or wealthy. They were really of no account to the rest of the world. But God is taking this ragtag group of unimportant people and he is shaming the people that think they're important. In the same way, in the same way that the world treated Jesus as if he was nothing at all, certainly not like he was the anointed king that they had been waiting for for generations to come and save their people. They dismissed him. They threatened him. They schemed against him. They beat him. They crucified him. They mocked him because they thought they had won. Because they thought he was weak. Because they thought they had exposed him for the fool that he was. The fool that they were sure he was. But the foolishness of Christ, the weakness of Jesus, that's more wisdom and strength than you and I can fathom. And it shames those who thought they were shaming Jesus when they threw insults at him. And his weakness defeated those that thought they had conquered him. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Because Jesus has become your wisdom. And Jesus has become your righteousness. And Jesus has become the source of your holiness. And Jesus is the source of your redemption. So if you're going to boast, it better be in nobody but Jesus. You're not listening today because you're good. You're not where you are because you're good. You're where you are because Jesus is good. And that doesn't make any sense to say about a crucified man. But it's true, and it's biblical. And if you live in the light of that truth, it will build you up. As Paul continues past where we read in 1 Corinthians, he says, He didn't come offering the church at Corinth lofty words or great wisdom. He decided to know nothing among the church at Corinth except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He came in weakness and fear and trembling. His words weren't that good. 
But what he came with was the power of the Holy Spirit that began to change lives and make an impact in such a way that everyone had to pay attention. So that the faith of the church might not rest on Paul's good words. It might not rest on his clever delivery. It might not rest on his well-timed joke or his perfectly suited story. But it might rest entirely on Jesus Christ, the power of God exposed to us as the one who is crucified. Good preaching won't always make you happy. When Jesus preaches at At first, the crowd is enamored with Jesus. Could this be Joseph's son? What a powerful message about how God has come to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to recover the sight of the blind, to to announce the year of the Lord's favor. It's been fulfilled in our midst. What good news. And then Jesus can't quit. He goes a little further and he says, there's... There's going to come a time where you say, why didn't you love us as much as you loved the people across the Sea of Galilee? Why didn't you give us those miracles? Who who are you to tell us who God is? And simply by saying that, they get in such a rage that they carry him to the cliff and they're about to throw him off before his ministry even gets kicked off and he manages to get away and go and continue his ministry. The truth is that good preaching doesn't always make us happy. We don't always like to hear it. But good preaching, even great preaching, will never leave us addicted to the preacher. It will always leave us yearning for the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God in the church, which is the body of Christ. It will always leave us wanting more of Jesus. Good preaching will draw us into the heart of Jesus and help us be more like him. Not because of the preacher, but because of the Spirit at work through her preaching. So what's your job during the sermon? If the work of the sermon is to build you up and to help you be attentive to God and pay attention to the truth of Scripture, what's the congregation's role in preaching? First, it's to come expecting to hear a word from the Lord. It is to prepare your heart to expect God to speak in a powerful way that might fundamentally change your life. Expect God to be at work. And then, with all of your ability, listen. Listen with the ears of faith. Pay attention to what it is that God has to say. And pray that the Lord will open your ears. And finally, respond. Respond to what it is that God is calling you to through the preaching. Draw near to the triune God. Follow Jesus in his footsteps. Accept the grace of God for yourself. Be changed and transformed by the power of God. Be ready to build up the church. Listen to what God has to say to you about himself and what God might be calling you to do. And finally respond, not from your strength, not from your wisdom, but from the power of God made manifest in your weakness.
Because a defeated, shamed man has given you the victory and invited you into his glory. How are you going to live in the midst of the truth of the gospel of Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the gift of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be attentive to your word as it is read and proclaimed. We pray, Lord, that you would preach to us, that week in and week out we would come expecting you to speak to us, that we would listen to what it is that you have to say, and that we would be ready to act in response to the goodness of your gospel for us. This we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.